Before we get started, let's just pray and thank the Lord for um, this morning and ask the Lord to be with us as we dig into his word. So Lord, we just thank you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises and to um, worship you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us to understand your word. Help us to uh, not only understand your word, but begin to put into practice the things that you are speaking to us. And God, I pray that you'd remove any kind of distraction right now. Help us to uh, just understand and, and fellowship with you. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to clearly communicate your love and your grace and your mercy that is available to us today through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, so we've been singing songs about Jesus. We're going to hear a message about Jesus. So what's all the fuss about Jesus Christ? Well, a couple things. We've been on a series on the book of Colossians. And so we're going to, I'm just going to kind of back up uh, just to say where we've kind of been in case you've missed a couple of weeks. Okay. So who is this Jesus Christ? The Bible for us articulates that Jesus Christ, you know, do you guys have the handouts? Are those passed out? Can you guys pass out real quick? As they're passing those out. Um, these are these are notes for you. You can follow along with what I'm saying. You can make you can write in them, you can bring them home, you can, you know, it will help you later to remember some of the things that we were talking about this morning. So what's all this fuss about Jesus? Well, the well, in Colossians. The Apostle Paul begins to communicate to us who this person of Jesus Christ is, what the big deal about Jesus is, okay? And he, he says this about Jesus, that he is preeminent in a number of different areas of life. And preeminent is this, this before, this greater than, this all-glorious and most important, above anything else. He says, he says he's preeminent in salvation or redemption, preeminent in this. That means through Christ alone, do we have salvation? Through Jesus Christ alone, do we receive forgiveness for sins and new life and hope? He says he's also preeminent in creation, that all things were created through him and for him and for his purposes. So he's not only preeminent in salvation, but he's preeminent in creation, and he's also preeminent in the church. And that the church is God's chosen vehicle to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world that God chose to use a church in all its different shapes and sizes and forms to bring the message of Christ to everyone else. And so that's why it is so important for us to be a part of church, because that is God's chosen vehicle to bring the good news to the rest of the world. And that's why church is a big deal to us here at Mercy Hill. It's not a place where we just come. Church isn't just sitting around a campfire, roasting marshmallows, seeing kumbaya, and kind of feeling good about ourselves. That's not church. Church is a place where we have a mission from the Lord to bring his good news to people. And John talked about it last week as well. He, he described it as this, that church is a place where we are just table waiters. We're just servants of the Lord, where we bring the good news to other people. So we have this opportunity to bring the good news at church, in our homes, in our lives, but church is a place where we get, we receive that message, where we get built up, where we get strengthened in the Lord. So what is this message that we bring? Paul says this in Colossians, that 
that Christ came and died for our sins, that we are made right with God through Jesus Christ. That when we believe and trust in his death on the cross for our sins, that something amazing happens. There's a transformation in our lives, a transformation in our hearts where we're given a new heart, it says, a new life where God forgives us of our sins, washes us clean of all guilt and fills us with his Holy Spirit. He says that is new life. And now we're given a relationship with God and we're adopted into his family. And so this is significant for us because we believe this is, as living a part of God's family, we have an opportunity to live our lives according to the way that God wants us to live. So Paul starts Colossians talking about Jesus being preeminent in all things. And now we begin to look at some more of the practical aspects of what does that mean for our lives. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Now remember, for Paul... This understanding of who Christ is and what Christ has done is never separated from the way that we live our lives. So we live our lives out of an understanding of who Christ is and the things Christ has done. So we live our lives outside of this understanding. And so for for Paul in the second chapter, he begins to kind of give life to that and say, what does this look like for us? How do we live our lives because of this truth? Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 in Colossians. We're going to read to verse 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face, seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. And so in this last this last verse in chapter 5, he uses... These, these words, order and firmness of faith. Order and firmness of faith. And for, for us, looking back on this now, it's kind of nice, but when Paul wrote this at the time he's writing this, those were military words. The military words were order, meaning um, an orderly array of, of band of discipled um, soldiers, firmness of faith, solidarity, and following Christ, this unity of, of following after Christ. I was going to show the... Uh, some footage from the um, Gladiator movie where at the very beginning scene where the guys all line up to fight their battle. And these guys are all with their shields and their spears and their, their bows and arrows and that kind of thing. And they're all lined up to fight the enemy. And in this, they're all together, they're all in sequence. They're all united together with these shields. And as the guys begin to launch arrows at the other guys, shields come up, shields come down to protect them. And it's this complete united front of battle. And so I was going to show that, but I thought, you know what? If I do that, no one's going to be paying attention to what I have to say afterwards. Everyone's going to be thinking about the movie. Because as, as I watch, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I want to see the rest of this battle scene, you know? So I didn't want to do that to you guys. So you can just imagine it in your mind. But it's this united front of people together. And that's, that's us as the church. United together, standing firm, doing the things that God's called us to do. And the thing is, 
with that, we haven't even begun to fight yet. That was just the defense, if you will, the defense of the message. We're defending what, what the Word of God says about Christ. So we want to ask, what are they defending themselves? What are they under attack against? What is it that is assaulting the church? Now, if we look in uh, verses 2 and 4, we get this, okay? So this is 2 and 4. This is what they were under attack against. It says, um, the second half, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this, that no one may delude you in order with plausible arguments. So there's this assault on who Christ is. There's this assault on the person of Christ, what Christ has done for us. And, and so there's this deluding, there's this people coming in to delude their understanding of Jesus Christ. And anytime you get a break from, from mainline evangelicalism, this is you know the, the belief that the word of God is true and that the atonement of Jesus Christ and the cross, his death and resurrection is, is our means of salvation. Anytime you get a break from that, whether it be the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian Science, it always comes back to this one point. Whenever there's a break, it always comes back to this one point. Who is Christ? It always comes back to that. And if nothing has changed in 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago is the same break. And for us, we see that again today over and over. If you want to know, there's so, some people come in and say, hey, we believe just like you do. We believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible's word of God. It's important for us. And we agree on those kinds of things. But when you get down to it and you ask the question, well, who is Jesus Christ? If you want to know what someone really believes, that is where the breaking point is. What do you believe about Christ? Is he who the word of God says he is? Or is he something else? And so Christ is at the center of this belief. He's at the center of all that we hold dear. He's at the center of our lives. And so we, so for them, it's important, and not, not only for them, but for us as well. Stand firm. What do we believe about Christ? And here Paul is commending them, saying, well done. I'm rejoicing to see what God has done in your lives. You have not, you've drawn the battle line. You've stood firm in the faith. You've not wavered. He's rejoicing at this. So they've stood firm. They've stood their ground in the attack of who Jesus Christ is. It's almost as if you think that, okay, close the book. We're done. Sermon over. We can just pray. They stood firm. You know, we've, I think for us, we've planted a church. We've been a part of, of launching a church in Highland. It's been, you know, a lot of work at times and, and other times it's been frustrating. This morning, showed up to church at 6.30 in the morning, and the siren for the alarm in the building is going off. This beep, 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 and it's loud. It's not soft. Like, if we were sitting here talking right now, no one would be able to hear me. It would just be this beeping sound that would be incessantly going off, and you couldn't stop it. I didn't know how to turn it off. So I'm sitting here today, this morning. Oh, man, Lord, I get here at 6.30 in the morning. I'm ready to prepare the sermon and, and work hard on, on getting ready, and I spend the next hour trying to figure out how to turn this, this stupid thing off, you know? So luckily, Joe, uh, he's an expert thief. Now, <laughs> Joe Svircheck was able to disarm the alarm for us. I don't know how he knows how to do that, but he does. And uh, it's good for us that he does know how to do that. But it's been a lot of work. There's a lot of things that, that go on to make this whole thing happen. And I think for us, sometimes we can sit back and say, hey, well done. The church is launched. We've done a good job. We've got a great worship team. We've got an incredible pastor. No, we've, got, we've got this amazing thing going on here where we're reaching out to people and, and we're going to be a part of distributing food and helping the lost and all these kinds of things. 
we can kind of sit back and say, well done. You know, let's just kind of sit back, take it easy. Life is good. But Paul doesn't stop there. For Paul, this is only the launching place. And for us, sitting where we sit, it's only the launching place for us as a church where we don't just kind of sit back and, and say, oh, pat ourselves on the back. We've done a good job. We have a church. We've got a building. It looks nice. But that there's more for us in store. Because Paul goes on to say the things that as a, as a body we stood firm, but now here's the way that we're to live our lives. This has an effect for all of our life. And so he goes in in verse chapter 2, verse 6, and he says this, okay? Chapter 2, verse 6, Paul writes this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. This verse, I want you to circle this, underline it, highlight it, whatever you have to do. This is the crux of the whole book. This, if you could summarize the entire book of Colossians in a single verse, it would be this verse. This is the entire book in, a, in one verse, okay? He brings all of chapter 1, Christ Jesus is Lord, and the rest of chapters 2, 3, and 4 together in one verse. And he brings it together. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, which is what he talked about in chapters 1, so walk in him, which is the rest of the book. He brings it all together in one place. He's only getting started for us. So therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself this question. What is it there for? Okay. So he says, therefore, therefore, what? Because you're standing firm. He says, because you've stood firm, because you withstood the attack. Now, therefore, I'm going to tell you something to do. Okay. I'll tell you something to do. It says, therefore, because Christ is preeminent in redemption, creation, the church, in verse 18, he says, all things. Now, Paul says this, therefore, Christ is now preeminent in your life. This is where he brings it home. He's moved from this great big picture of Jesus Christ, preeminent in all things, in the church, creation, redemption, in these big things he sweeps and makes his, these big statements about who Jesus Christ is. And so he begins to talk about these things in the, in the first chapter. And now in verse 6, he says this, but now he needs to be preeminent in your life. Not just in all things, not just in the church, not just in creation, but in you. It's got to be preeminent in you. And this is what it means for Christ to be preeminent in your life. So because Christ is preeminent in all things, he's also preeminent in your life. And he begins to look at what this means. Now, when I first got married, actually before I first got married, um, I had this understanding of marriage, okay? I understood its principles. I affirmed its value and importance. I agreed with, with, with why, we do the, why we get married and the whole deal. I understood that, and I agreed with that. But for me to fully understand the depth and the way that it affects our lives, I had to experience it for myself. And so coming into it, I had this understanding, of, okay, marriage is this way. Here's the way it should work. Here's the biblical principles. But for me to really affect my life, I had to walk in that myself. 
It had to do something on the inside of me. And the same can be true of the preeminence of Christ. That for us to really understand the depth of what it means for Christ to be preeminent in the world, in the church, in salvation, we've got to experience Christ as preeminent in our lives first. And then be, things begin to make sense. And so we can see them and we can agree with, with some of these principles, but we need to be affected by this ourselves. This has got to have an impact in our lives. And as that impacts our lives, the rest begins to make sense. And Paul is warning the church in verse 4 from being deluded, from their faith and understanding of Christ from becoming weakened. It's like an ice-cold glass of Coke on a hot summer day, which is full of ice. And it's just this great taste, and I love a nice cold glass of Coke. But as it sits out in the sun, the ice begins to, to melt, and it begins to dilute the pop. And it doesn't taste like pop anymore. It kind of tastes a little bit like Pepsi, okay? But, but really, this pop, this, pop, this pop is good for nothing because it doesn't really taste like pop, and it doesn't taste like water. It's been diluted. There's a way that this, it tasted so good on one hand, but now it's been washed away and diluted away. And so we need to understand the way that we live in chapters 2, 3, and 4 from this base, almost this launch, this, this strength of, of, of flavor and taste of who Christ is first. And then when we look at the rest of the book, it's going to help us to understand it's from this place, from this strength, from this foundation. And this delusion for us, this deluding, this delusion for us that he talks about in verse 4 begins when we believe and live out of an understanding that life is to be found outside of Christ. This happens in so many ways. It is so subtle for us. I think in my own life, it's this understanding that happiness is found when I do things my way, my principles for life, the way that I want to do things. God, I don't need you to do this. I need to do this. God, I want this. I'm going to get it even if it's apart from your will. It's basic things every single day that, that happen. It begins to pull us away from Christ and begins to delude his preeminence in our lives and his lordship of our life when we begin to do these things. So it may be us taking a job that requires us to work crazy hours a week. We're gone all the time. We never see our kids, our family, our wives. We're never able to be a part of what God is doing in the church. So we can make more money. So we can have a bigger house. We can have more cars or whatever it may be. For some people, it's that way. And then we would say, look, the choices you're making are diluting the power and presence of Christ in your life. It's pulling you away from these things. This understanding of who Christ is for you is slowly beginning to erode and get washed away. Maybe it's that we're so involved in our kids' sports or activities that we choose to do everything else but things that God would have us to do for our kids' lives. Attend church, attend any kind of ministry opportunities, spend time together as a family. Simple things like that. As we begin to give ourselves to these things, it begins to slowly erode away the work of Christ in our lives. And you know what? Having a job, working hard, your kids being involved in activities, those are good things. These aren't bad things that, that God's given to us. But it's, it, it becomes bad when it begins to delude, 
becomes too much in our lives, when it begins to have us instead of us having these things. So we need to get Christ back at the center. When those things begin to happen, we need Christ to come back to the center of our lives, back to being Lord of our lives, back to being preeminent in our lives. So how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us in verses 6 and 7. So therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding and thanksgiving. So we see four things for us that we can begin to put into practice in our lives to begin to get Christ back at the center of all that we do. To not allow ourselves to be deluded by the world or by anything else, by, by a job or by sports or by whatever it is, that we begin to put these things into practice. So the first thing is this, he talks about walking. You receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walking is just, for us in the Bible, it's daily obedience. It's daily decisions every single day, whether big or small. Daily decisions to follow in obedience. And Scripture always presents us with two roads in our lives. And it calls one the road of, of wisdom, and the other one's the road of folly. The one of obedience, the one of disobedience. And so every day there's forks in the road of our lives. Will I say this? Will I think that? Will I watch this show? Will I get on that website? Will I badmouth and gossip about this person? And every day we're faced with, with hundreds of decisions about that. And so we've got a decision to make. Am I going to walk in the way of wisdom or walk in the way of folly? Am I going to walk in obedience or am I going to walk in disobedience? And every step of obedience, that only serves to strengthen our understanding of who Christ is. Okay. So now we don't only have walking, daily obedience. We also have rooting. Rooting is where all our strength and nourishment comes from God. And as at salvation, we become planted in the soil of God's kingdom, the soil of God's purposes for our lives. And we depend on God for our strength. Now in our front yard, we've got two pretty big sized trees. And they're nice trees. Or they're, they're, I love big trees. I love our neighborhood because they've got big trees all over the place. Well, three years ago, they came through and they, they put new roads and sidewalks in. No problem. They marked the trees that were too close to the road, and they cut those down because as they put the road through, they're going to sever the roots, and these trees are going to end up dying. But they, they decided that our trees were far enough away from the road that they'd be okay. Well, two years later the leaves on the top parts of the trees begin to die. Branches start falling off the trees. Every time the wind blows, I have 100, um, 100 branches in my front yard. And so what's happened over the past three years is these trees have slowly died. However, the trees, it didn't show up the first year. It didn't show up right away. It wasn't like they finished a row and the trees died. And like, okay, you guys got to come back and fix these trees. It was a slow erosion over time. Slowly but surely, it began to show up more and more and more, and it's only going to get worse. We have to we have to cut these trees down now because they're going to end up completely dead on our in the front yard of our house. And I think for us, this nourishment from God, this this daily dependence upon God for strength, this daily walk with God for strength, for us, if we begin to neglect the things that God has given us, 
for that strength. We'll be like those trees. It won't show up right away. But our life in God will slowly become, become, will die. And it starts at the top and works all the way down to the bottom. And so a couple things that I, I think of when I, when I look at this, I think it's, it's life share groups. It's being a part of the community of God in smaller groups for us is a way that we can develop um, relationships outside of a Sunday morning. We can't really get to know each other that well on a Sunday morning. We can say hi, introduce ourselves, talk a little bit, but it's not like we can go deep on a Sunday morning. That's what life share groups are for, for us to be able to have that time to get to know each other better, to have that time to dig into God's word together. Also, just think of spending time in the word, reading our Bibles, whether it be for you know a few minutes or a long time, it, it is nourishment for us. It's also prayer. Prayer is an incredible way that we communicate to God our dependence upon him and ask him for strength for the day. So prayer and the reading the word of God and life share groups are, are ways that we believe God has provided for us as a means of which to provide strength for our lives and nourishment for all that we do. Next thing we have is building. We've got walking, rooting, now building. This is growing up to be more like Christ. We're in the process of being built up. This word is, a, is an ongoing building word. This isn't just a, you are built and completed and finished. This word in the Bible is this ongoing process of being built. And it's not always pretty in the beginning. There's a building over on uh, Lincoln Street and 41 across from Thornton's gas station that was just a, a terrible looking building. It was an eyesore. It just looked like this look terrible. What they've done is they slowly begin the process of restoring this building. And now they're putting brick on it. And they, they patch in some, some of the old brick with some of the new brick. And they're putting this whole thing together. And it's starting to look good. I think for us, we can become discouraged so quickly when we begin our, begin our walk with the Lord. How things are, can be frustrating because we don't, we don't always get it. There's things that we say or we do or thoughts that we have that it's like, oh, why did I say that to, to my wife? Why did I say that to my, my son or daughter? Why did I do that? Why did I gossip? You know, all these different things. We can become so discouraged. We've got to remember, this is a work in progress. That God is slowly working on our lives. He's changing us. He's molding us. He's shaping us. He's putting brick on. He's making us, he's making us who he wants us to be. So we are, we are in progress. And lastly is this, building now abounding. It's an overflow of what God is doing on the inside. It's abounding in thanksgiving. It's an overflow of what God is doing. It's a response to God from what's happening in the other three that we just talked about. It's a response to God in these things. So Sunday morning, it's an opportunity for us to give thanks to the Lord. We sing these songs. We raise our hands. We shout out. We pray. We do all these things. Why? Because it is a response of what God has done and is doing in our lives. And it's an opportunity for us. It's a time for us as a church to corporately respond to that and corporately give voice to what God is doing. So we're not just somewhere by ourselves giving thanks, which is good, but we're together doing that. This is a community thing, a community of giving thanks, community of abounding together. So it's walking, rooting, building, thanksgiving are ways that we 
continue to establish God, Christ's rule in our lives. So these are preservatives for us to keep us from being deluded. They're preservatives for us. Now, this is the life of faith that we live. I want to close with these two thoughts for us. Two thoughts. That these things that we've just talked about, this, this, this walking, rooting, building, abounding, they not only help us keep Christ at the center of our lives and Lord of our lives, but it's also an evidence of Christ being Lord of our lives. These things are not just present in my life or your life. When we see that when they are present, that we know Christ is Lord of our lives. When we want to know, is Christ Lord of my life? The question I need to ask is, are those things present in my life? If you were to ask your spouse, your friends, is, is Christ Lord of my life? You can say, are these things present in my life? Am I actively walking out these things? Do you see these things in my life? If you don't see these things, then what does that say about my life? And secondly, I want to say this. If you look back on your life and Christ's rule in your life has been diluted, at one time maybe you said, man, I want to give life, God, my life, my heart, commit to him everything. I believe these things in the word of God. This is true for me. But it hasn't gone to the place of affecting our lives in that way. That these things aren't present in our lives. That for us is one of the reasons Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. Because he said he came not for the healthy, not for those who are just doing great and they're following Christ, although he came for them. He said, I came for the sick. Came for those who are struggling. Came for those who are having a hard time. Having just a place of just frustration in life. He said, I came for the sick. I came that the sick may know me. I came that I could give grace and give help and strengthen and encourage. And if you're at a place this morning where you think, Lord, I don't see these things present in my life. I haven't made you Lord of my life. Maybe I've made you Lord at some time, but there's no evidence of that decision in my life now. We can come back to the Lord in all of his grace and his mercy and his love. He says, come back to me again. And I will restore that relationship with you. Maybe their time comes today as we begin to take communion. That you have an opportunity to ask the Lord to forgive you for the places that you've wandered away from him. You have an opportunity to come back to God and say, God, I want these things evident in my life. I want to restore. I don't want to be deluded any longer. I want to know you and experience your power in my life that we have an opportunity this morning to come back to the Savior, Jesus Christ, ask for his help, ask for his forgiveness, ask that he would bring us back to him again and he would give us the strength to begin to walk in obedience to him in all of our ways. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you this morning, Lord, that you would help us God, wherever it is that you're, you're putting your finger on our lives and our hearts, God, help us to respond. Give us the grace. Give us the help, the strength to look back to you again. 
Lord, this morning we want to say, Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise. Guys, we read your word. We want, Lord, your lordship and your preeminence in our lives to be stronger than it's ever been, to be the very foundation of our lives. We live out of that understanding. Lord, we pray for that. We ask for that. Help us, Lord. Thank you that you bring that you call us back to you again. Lord, you don't leave us on our own, but you bring us back to you again. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. In your name we pray. Amen.